You know what tonight is? Passover. Sun is going down around the world and Jewish people are gathering together just like we are at tables with a lot of the items that you have here. It was given to the Jewish people to remind us that we could trust God. Tonight, we're going to put our hearts together and we're going to find a beautiful way that Jesus gave us to acknowledge we can trust God. We can trust the Lord. And that's what the heart of all this is about. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Uh, sorry for the, the West Coast accent. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been around here long enough to, to be able to, to, to share. Man, uh, Cajun hospitality is incredible. Thank you all. <laughs> Pastor Kelly. So, uh, this is a night on which we're gonna, gonna reflect on God's call to remember our redemption. What a week this is. We are going from tonight which is almost the same night that Jesus celebrated Passover. We're going to take a look at how he celebrated Passover, but I want to give you the backdrop, why he'd gone to Jerusalem, what he was all about, what that celebration was to be, so we get the heart of it, and then how he took that and gave to you and me and all of us who trust in him this wonderful festival to remember our redemption from the Egypt of sin. So that's where we're going tonight. I'm going to be working from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. You'll get a chance to see some of that. And uh, um, I guess I should tell you, uh, with a name like Tuvia Zaretsky, yeah, I've come from a really weird, strange, far away, odd... I'm from California, okay? Uh, but my, my family came from the East Coast, and before that from... Eastern Europe. My father's family came from Belarus. Uh, my great-grandfather was murdered in a pogrom against Jews. If you've ever seen the, the musical Fiddler on the Roof, that was uh, the, the mild version of what happened to our people in Belarus. My, grandfather, my great-grandfather was murdered. My grandfather was sent to North America to escape any further threats to our family. My mom's family, they came from Hungary. Those who didn't escape from Hungary ended up perishing in the Holocaust, those who came, uh, the rest of them came to um, the Holy Land. That's where my mom grew up. The Bronx, New York. Sorry. <laughs> and, and my folks met uh, in a USO club, and uh, my dad sent for my mom after the war, and they settled out in California. I was raised in the institutions of American Judaism. Jesus was not part of our life. The gospel was not part of our experience. I was given a Hebrew name as a kid. The name Tuvia means God is good. Tov is good. Yah is the name of God, Yahweh. I didn't know how good God is until he introduced himself to me in the person of Jesus. And, and I, I don't have the time to tell that whole story tonight, but I hope you'll accept the fact I'm here as a brother in Christ comes from a very different different background, and so it's going to be a chance to, to dig into some... You'll hear some Hebrew tonight. In fact, you're going to learn some Hebrew tonight. You've got a little brochure on the table in front of you. It's that uh, one that looks like the slide up front. That brochure is something you can take home with you. It'll remind you about some of the things that we're going to be looking at. Uh, as you open it up inside that first panel, you'll see a Seder plate like this one up here. Seder means... Seder means order, and so that is what we use to tell the story or the order of the evening. 
and you'll see how that, that works. You can take that home tonight and let it be a reminder of what you saw here this evening. I want to start the story of Passover and take us back to Israel and actually to Egypt. Our people had been enslaved for 400 years. We'll tell that story tonight. But during that 400-year slavery, God heard our cry and he sent Moses to, to lead us out of that bondage. But he told us once we came out, never to forget what God has done and who he is and what his character is like. And so he asked us every year to remember the night on which we were redeemed from slavery. That's what tonight is about. It is so fitting that it comes only days before the celebration of the resurrection of our Messiah, and they are connected. You'll see how that connection works tonight. But the theme is remembering our redemption, remembering our redemption, what the Lord has done for us. Three times a year, he asked us to go to the place where he had his place of meeting. We call it the, the temple, or the initially it was a tent in the, in the wilderness, the tabernacle. And at that tabernacle, he said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. That was the whole purpose of the tabernacle. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. From the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation, you'll find that theme in the scriptures. God was with Adam and Eve. They were his people. He dwelt with them, walked with them, talked with them. And he promised that he would be their God forever and ever. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, we hear the same thing. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will dwell with you. I will dwell in the midst of you. So the Lord God called our people to come to his house three times a year. And those three times are mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Three times a year we were to, to go up to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover, the feast of Shavuot, the feast of weeks, and the feast of unleavened bread. Sorry, the feast of tabernacles, boy. Uh, springtime, 50 days later, and in the fall. Every single one of those we were to remember something about the living God. And at Passover, we would remember that he brought us out of slavery. At the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, we would remember, since that's the first, first fruits of the year, that what God has begun, he is certainly going to accomplish and finish. And so we see the beginning of the church on that day, the very first fruits of the believers coming to faith in, in massive numbers. And then in the fall, we would go back to the city of Jerusalem, and we would remember tabernacling with God, he has made us fruitful and he dwells with us. So we see those coming out each time of the period of the year. So the first fruit, the first festival of the year in the springtime, during the first full moon, did you notice the moon tonight? Can you see it through the clouds? It's this beautiful full moon. And it's, it is the first full moon in the springtime. And at that time, God said, this is the night on which I redeemed you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And this is what he asked us to do. The, the next uh, portion of the Bible is from Exodus chapter 12. And I've put in excerpts here. And the, the wording in gold is, is the four things I want you to remember out of this evening. I'm going to read the, the whole passage from Exodus, but you'll see the emphasis that God places here. He told us to come to the city, to, sorry, to the, the, our tables on the Feast of Passover. 
not in the, in the synagogue, on the fields and the houses all around the city of Jerusalem or wherever the temple, temple stood. We would eat this in a home, not in a, a gathering place, an official gathering place like a synagogue. And at our tables, we would remember that we ate a meal around tables in Egypt. And here's what happened. He said, in this manner, you shall eat it there in Egypt with your belt fastened tight, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now we're going to remember what, we're going to find out what Passover is all about, what it meant, what he was saying, why he called it Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Adonai. I am the Lord. The last of ten, ten plagues that came against the Egyptians was against their gods. And every one of those plagues has the name of an Egyptian god on it. We'll take a look at that when we get there. The, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Now, blood, that just pops up here. But the blood was central to the story. It was to be the blood of a lamb. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we'll see again the blood and the plagues and how that, that came together. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep this feast. From generation to generation, we were to teach our children what God has done. And it's been my joy to celebrate Passover as many years as I can remember since my childhood. We still do this with our children so that they might know what God has done on behalf of our people who that God is, and how good and trustworthy he is. So we find that Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem because he was an observant Jew. He's going to come and celebrate this festival, and that's where I pick up Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 22. And we're told, Luke tells us that now the Feast of Unleavened Bread called Passover was approaching. It's the springtime. It is the week leading up to that first full moon. And Jesus has come to the city of Jerusalem with his disciples. But he's been telling them all the way there that he's coming to Jerusalem to die. He was born for that reason. Thirty days after his birth, his parents bring him into the temple. It's the redemption of the firstborn. As they walk into the temple, an elderly Jewish man one of the last of the Old Testament saints, Simeon. He's called Simeon Hatzadik. He's called righteous. And he walks up and he takes the baby from Mary's arms and he cradles that child, never, never having seen him before. But he, he stuns everyone with these words. He prays out loud, Lord, now let your bondservant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen et Yeshua techa. I have seen your salvation. And he's holding the baby in his arms. A light of revelation to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. This child was the very reason that Israel was created. I'll tell the story tonight. This child was to be the fulfillment of Genesis 
12.3, the promise of blessing to all the nations of the earth through the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of whom we are the recipients through faith in Jesus, the Messiah. So he came to die, and he's in Jerusalem to, to, to do that. He's there with his disciples, we read in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the, the Passover lambs had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go make preparations for us to eat. It is the morning of the, the celebration of Passover. And he turns to his disciples and he tells them, go prepare the house for us. Find a place where we can do this. Now, preparation for Passover requires three things. Ah, first, we have to cleanse the house of all leaven. And leaven is a picture or a metaphor of what? Sin, yeah. So we want to sanctify the house and prepare the house for this. Now we have to have those three items that have to be on that Passover table. Bitter herbs, Passover lamb, unleavened bread. Bitter herbs, Passover lamb, matzah, the unleavened bread. Um, not hard to see some of these things. Uh, on your, your brochure, you'll see the bitter herbs. Um, that is either going to be number two or number four. The bitter herbs are... Onions, horseradish, leeks, garlic, scallions, the bitter herbs that remind us of the bitterness of our bondage when we were dwelling in the land of Egypt. And so we're gonna, we're gonna eat some of that. Not, not a lot of it. Okay. <laughs> Just a little bit. All right. Bear with me. Uh, we also have, um, the Passover lamb. And you might be surprised to find out that, uh, many Jewish people do not eat lamb for Passover. Uh, the reason being the only place that the lambs could be slaughtered was on the altar in the city of Jerusalem or wherever the temple stood. And so we only keep the shank bone or the forearm of a lamb that's uh, about in the one o'clock um, position on that Seder plate on your, your brochure. But that lamb bone was to help us tell the story of the Passover. The rabbis have told us, however, since we can't eat lamb, we want to remember the temple and its destruction. We take an egg, which is uh, symbolic, it's a life, and that life, which would have been a sacrifice on the altar of the temple, is treated like the temple was treated. It's crushed, thrown down. It's hard-boiled, thankfully. And I think you have a, a hard-boiled egg on your table. Each one of you has one on your plate. I'm going to ask you to do, do something now. Take a little piece of that egg, and we dip it, in salt water, you've got a salt water bowl in the center of your table. Try and dip that in there without getting your fingers in there. And uh, you eat that. How's that water taste? Salty. It's salty like tears. We remember the destruction of our holy temple when we do this. And we sing a song. Maybe next year the Messiah will have come. He will have reestablished the holy temple and we will once more celebrate Passover in the presence of our Messiah. Jewish people this night around the world will be singing that song, L'Shana Habab Yerushalayim, with a longing to see that temple be rebuilt. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem today is topped by a platform that was leveled in 135 AD. Sitting atop it right now is the second holiest site in all of Islam. Rebuilding the temple would set off a catastrophe across the Middle East. If it's going to happen in our lifetime, it's going to be a miracle.
but we have a God of miracles. We'll wait and see what happens. So let's, let's see, we need the, the bitter herbs, the Passover lamb, and matzah or unleavened bread. Now, I know that for a lot of us, we tend to picture things in the Bible uh, according to Western European art, right? So we think of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's portrait of the Last Supper, right? All those beautiful Italian guys sitting on one side of the table. You ever notice the bread at Leonardo's table? It's Italian bread. It's a nice, right, fluffy loaf. Passover bread is anything but fluffy. That's it, right? My wife tells me, will you give Leonardo a break? How's he supposed to paint that? Just lies there on the table. So we have, uh, we have bread on our table. Um, you have some, some Passover bread. We'll be eating some pieces off of that tonight, but we keep kind of an odd thing here. We keep uh, matzah, the unleavened bread, in a bag called a matzatash. And uh, that, that bag is dis- divided into three compartments. And in each compartment is a piece of unleavened bread. The picture is three in one. Yeah. Hmm. Where does that come from? I don't know. I'd ask my grandfather, why do we have the three-in-one thing? What does it mean? He would say, ah, it means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'd ask my father, ah, it means the Kohanim, the priests, the Levites, the helpers of the priests, and the rest of Israel. Ah, you know what that does? It explains the aphorism where there are three Jews in discourse, there are four opinions floating around. (laughs) We take a piece of matzah out of this bag. It's always the second or the middle. Why? I don't know. Where this comes from? I don't know. I do know we take it, and by tradition, even tonight, we break it. Half is returned to the bag out of which it was drawn, and the other half is wrapped in a linen cloth, and it's taken out of the room and hidden or buried for a time, and we forget that. We'll come back to it. It has a name, afikomen. It means in Greek, he who comes later. Bread, unleavened, wrapped in linen, buried. It'll be brought back. Again, I don't know where it comes from. Pretty poignant. Okay? So let's see how the disciples did. We picked the narrative up at verse 13. We're told... um, They left, found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And in verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Now, Leonardo apparently didn't read that. They weren't sitting on a bench. They weren't sitting upright. They were the ancient Near East. And Israel, by the way, is in the Near East, East Asia, like Japan, Korea, India, places where people would recline at a table that was only 18 inches off the ground. Pillows are strewn about on the floor, and they're in very, very warm, close fellowship. That might explain if the table's down like this, and Jesus and his disciples are leaning back. You ever wonder, how did John end up against the chest of Jesus? Today, when Jewish people celebrate Passover, we keep pillows on our chair, because only... Only free people 
could celebrate Passover. A servant must stand throughout the evening. But on this night, we have been set free, and we want to remember that. And I want to encourage you, if if you'd like to try and celebrate Passover, you can do it any time during the next week. You could do it any time during the year. But particularly during this year, this week, during the next eight days, Jewish people will be celebrating this around the world. You can do it. It's a wonderful time to teach your family and remember this. Uh, if you get invited to a Passover uh, Seder during this time by some uh, a Jewish family, bring a pillow. They'll ask you, hey, how'd you hear about the pillow? Oh, we learn about that in church. We do that stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why we have the pillow on the chair. Right. Passover can last three to five hours. That's a matter of survival. <laughs> Trust me. We have a couple things that guide us through the evening that help us kind of count where we are. Uh, we have a book called Haggadah, uh, and that Haggadah is what we use to tell the story of Passover. Haggadah is, the Hebrew means, it says, lehagid, to tell, and we tell this, the story. This book is beautiful. Uh, this is an older one. Uh, Hebrew reads right to left, so this is the front of the book. Um, there are beautiful illustrations. Um, there are dia diagrams for setting up our table. There are recipes. Most importantly, there are dialogues so that our children can participate and have a, a central part. Because remember, this is from generation to generation. We want to remember what God has done for us, who he is, and it stirs in our heart the cry, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. We came out of slavery. I can trust you. So this is, the, my grandfather, by the way, would want to read every single page of that book. That's the five-hour version. My dad would read every half of, half of the book. Uh, that's the three-hour version. By the way, if you want to do this, I've got on the Connect table out back, there, there are some little Haggadahs that we wrote for, for Christians. It's called um, Messianic Family Haggadah, and uh, it's really easy. It reads, reads the other way. <laughs> so, and it's got English in it. It's got uh, uh, explanations of how to pronounce the words. Um, and and uh, there are words in there like haroset. It can't help you do that one right. <laughs> We've been trying all day. So that's, that's a good one. Uh, we have another way of, of guiding us through the evening, and that is by counting how many times we drink from our cup. We have um, one cup. All of us have just one cup, and you've got a cup on your table like mine with the fruit of the vine in it. Uh, but we raise that cup four times on the night, and each cup has a new name to it. The first time we raise it, it's called the cup of sanctification, by which we sanctify the evening unto the Lord and his service. We want to remember him, so it's sanctified to him. It's the Lord's Passover. The second cup of the night is called the cup of plagues. That's the only one that's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's the re recounts the ten plagues that came against the, remember, the gods of the Egyptians. We'll get there in a minute. The in the middle of the evening, we have supper. And the third time we raise the cup, it's called the cup of redemption. And that cup is immediately after supper. And this cup is very important because it reminds us not only of our redemption from slavery in Egypt, but you and I will find out this is the cup that Jesus gave to us to remember our redemption from the Egypt of sin. The last cup on the night is called the cup of praises, and with this one, we remember, uh, we sing the six praise psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. You know, the, 
the book of Psalms is the national book of uh, national hymn book of Israel. And in the middle of that hymn book is a small, I guess it's a songbook, Psalms 113 to 118. And uh, each psalm has the, the phrase in it, Hallelujah. We sang that tonight very fittingly. Thank you, Nathan. That was really good. Uh, we sing, Hoduladonai Kitov, give thanks to the Lord. Ki leolam chasto, because his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. And so we praise the Lord. Now, I want you to join with me in sanctifying Passover. Uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in Hebrew. Um, we're going to do this four times, so you're just going to take a, a little sip. We might not get all four of them in, but um, we want to make sure we have enough to, to sip four times or three. Um, but the first time, it's, it's called the, the cup of sanctification by which we set apart the whole evening to the Lord. And uh, here's how the prayer goes. Now, I'm going to offer this, this blessing, but I need you to join me in it, okay? And here's your part. <clears throat> I know it's Hebrew, but we'll get through this. Ready? Amen. Of course. <laughs> Let's practice once. Amen. Baruch atarunai. Eloheinu melech haolam. Borei periha gefen. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the fruit of the vine. Now we drink. What's amazing is in Luke 22, verse 17, we find Jesus lifting the first cup of the night. We're told, and after taking the cup, the first one, he gave thanks, the blessing that we just said together. And then he said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Those are words of sadness and words of joy. Sadness because it was to be his last Passover during his earthly ministry. But there is that word of joy because Jesus is coming again. Amen? Yeah. And it's going to be a huge celebration, a huge banquet. And I don't know whether it's the, the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, or it's a Passover celebration. Uh, over lunch, Nathan told me it's going to have Bonin and Dr. Pepper. <laughs> but we don't know. We don't know. I think it's more likely it's going to be like this. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Passover's begun. Now, the most important thing to do here is invite our children to tell the story of Passover. Generation to generation, we invite them to, to then participate with us. And we ask them to begin by tell, asking four questions. You'll notice on the inside panel here, we have the, the four questions. I'm not going to go through all these, but I want you to hear how we would do this tonight. The youngest child at the table is asked to repeat this. And you can see the English on the board behind me, on the screen behind me. Here's how it goes. I learned this as a child. It was just kind of embedded in there. We ask, Manish Tanahalala Haze, Mikol Halelot, 
Why is this night different than all other nights? Shebechol halilod anochlin, chamatza matzah, halayla hazeh, afilu matzah. On all, all other nights we can eat bread with leaven or without leaven, but on this night we eat only the unleavened bread. Why? Because this is the bread we ate, the bread of affliction, which our forefathers ate as we came out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And so we've come to the table, and now we want to tell that story, and we're going to use the items on the Seder plate, and each of those items are help us relate the, the account. We have to start all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Why do I go all the way back there? Because God created us in his image with virtue, with love, with worth, and with a free will. God know, knew that that free will was going to be exercised in disobedience against him. And so in that very, very first portion of the Torah, of the, the book of Genesis, God tells us and Adam and Eve that he's going to send the seed of a woman who's going to crush the head of the evil one who had deceived Adam and Eve, who had lied to them, who had created so uh, darkness and and chaos. And he promised that he would send a redeemer who would crush that one. And that redeemer would be sorely bruised. There are a lot of different words for that. But he would be grieved in the midst of doing that. His life was going to be threatened. God promised that, that was his salvation plan, that that seed was going to come from a woman. But if it's going to, if there's going to be a woman, there has to be a woman and a family and a tribe and a nation could have been anybody but he looks out and calls upon a Chaldean from the land of the Babylonians Avram Abraham Abraham hears God's call and he responds Hineni here am I I will follow you and he goes to a land that he's never been at and God tells him he is going to be instrumental in the salvation of the earth in you he said to Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And of that he was speaking of that seed of the woman, the child who was to come, the very one that Simeon took in his arms and said, Now, Lord, my your bondservant departs in peace because my eyes have seen your Savior. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They are... They have wives, children. Seventy of them go down into Egypt. They're there for 400 years. It's a time of incubation. The nation grows until there's more than 2 million Jews. And the king, the new king in Egypt sees all these Jews in his backyard and says something like, Oi. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but it says that he was frightened because he, he feared that we would rise up and try and take his throne. And so he enslaved us. And it made us cry to God that we might be set free from our slavery. Here's where we see ourselves in the DNA of our ancestors. We say we were there in Egypt, and God brought us out of slavery. So we all take a piece of parsley. Yeah, now, he's, now you get to take some parsley, just a little sprig. And the, the parsley is like the earth turning green in the springtime, right? New life. But we take that parsley... And we remember that life was immersed in tears because we cried out to God. And we dip that in the salt water. Mm -mm. You can eat that if you want. 
That's that's part of the the experience of tasting this tears. Mm, mm, yum. Okay. The rabbis say, you know, it's not enough that you taste the saltiness of the tears. You have to have some of your own. And so we get a sop about like that. You've got some pieces of matzo. You're going to need at least three of them tonight, so don't don't eat the whole thing. But we're going to dip in the... Can you smell the fresh ground horseradish on your plate? Yeah. We're going to get the... My grandfather would say, get a good scoop, like about a half a teaspoon. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> but... We can all take a little, a little dab and we're going to remember the bitterness of our slavery in the land of Egypt as we, we taste that. And, uh, if you do it right, you go ahead and do that. Take a, a little bite. Mmm. You know what happens? You get a whole lot of that. Your face turns red. You start to sweat. Your eyes, wa- your eyes water. Your nose runs. We call it Jewish Sudafed. Everything opens up. Now, in, in God's accounting, all is to be kept in balance. We have next to that a mixture made of apples, walnuts, raisins, almonds, brown sugar, wine, cinnamon. It takes on a brown paste-like look, and it's, uh, it looks like mud. It's supposed to look like mud. It's what we worked our hands in bricks in Pharaoh's Egypt, and so we remember our labor working for Pharaoh and we get a scoop of, this is a very, very sweet mixture. So you can eat this as much as you want. And we'll take a little bite of that right now. You want to say what it is? <laughs> it's called charoset. Don't try and say that while you're eating it. <laughs> Here's the important part about this. In our accounting... God wants us to remember never to allow the bitterness of life and the struggle and the sorrow of life to so overwhelm us that we forget the sweetness of God's care and goodness and redemption is drawing near. Never be so caught up in the giddiness of a moment that we forget that life is hard and death is part of it and loss is part of that. Until Jesus comes, these are parts of our our existence. But throughout it, he asks us to say, I trust you, Lord. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in those moments, but seek him, and he'll make your path straight. I always remember this at Passover time and in the most bitter and difficult times of our lives to say the quickest prayer I know, God, I trust you. God, I'm hurting now, but I trust you. And I will trust you. And I'll trust you tomorrow and the day after. I've told this story about how I came to faith in uh, uh, my 20s, and it was a, a traumatic experience. The night that I came to faith, I knew that my family would turn against me, and I knew that my relatives would, would declare me dead, uh, and they did. But on the night that I came to faith, God, in his grace, made me so aware that he would be with me 
And I cried out to him and I said, Lord, I'll believe in you tonight, but I need you to be with me tomorrow and the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that. And he's never left me, nor will he leave you, nor does he leave you. Amen? Amen. So we cried to the Lord. He heard our cry, sent Moses to Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh, mm -mm, hardens his heart against Moses, the Jews, and against God. And God is going to use that hardness to demonstrate the might of his power. We take the second cup of the night, the cup of plagues, and we remember the ten plagues that came against the Egyptians. Now, I don't have time to go through all of these. What we do is we take a, a drop out of our cup. We actually stick our, put our finger in. We count each, the name of each plague, throw it on our, our plate because only a full cup is a cup of joy, but a cup which is poured out is a cup of woes. And so we remember the ten woes that came against the Egyptians. But God was mocking the idols and judging the gods of the Egyptians. I am Yahweh, he said. Worship none other beside me. So, okay, real quick. I can't go through all ten. But the first one is against the god of the Nile River. The Nile River, this area we ought to remember because we've got so much water around us and so many rivers, right? The god, the god of the river, particularly the Nile River, was Nilas. Nilas was important. They worshipped him for irrigation, navigation, hydration. What happens during the first plague? Nilas, the river turns to... Everybody knows the story. What's the picture? Nilas is dead. Why would you worship a dead god? That's what God was doing. The god of the underworld was the next one. It's not mafia. The god of the underworld was always depicted as a frog. And he guided you, if you were in Egypt, on the journey toward eternal life. That's why the Egyptians mummified their people. They wrapped them up so they could, so they, they would be intact throughout that journey toward eternal life. You know what the definition of a mummy is, right? Somebody who's pressed for time. <laughs> just, just checking. Okay. So, frog, underworld, what happens in the second plague? Frogs come up out of the riverbank. They go everywhere. They get into everything. They drive the Egyptians crazy. Then what do all the frogs do? They croak. Right. And, and they left a great stench upon the land of Egypt. The picture is, he can't help you. All he can do is stink the place up. Ten plagues. Second to the last was against the god of the, the sun god, Ra. Highest of all the Egyptian gods. What happens? God blots out the sun. A darkness so thick you can feel it. And he says, stop worshiping the creation and know your creator. We need that word again today. Yeah? Then we come to the 10th plague. By this point, the Egyptians are beginning to, they're, they're in transience. They're standing against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is beginning to fold. And the Lord God declares a judgment against the firstborn in every family. The firstborn man and beast has been, have been consecrated to worship and serve Pharaoh. There was only one way to escape this plague. We were told to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, one-year-old male without a blemish, tether it by our house for three days. On the morning of the first full moon, first full moon in the springtime, the throat of the animal was to be cut, the blood drained into a basin, 
and the carcass carried out and roasted, barbecued all day long. In the evening, it's supposed to be brought back and placed upon our table. The bitter herbs, the unleavened bread are baked. Our staff is in our hand. Our tunic is around us, our belt tight, sandals on our feet, ready to go in the morning. But God said on that night before you go into your home to have this feast, you must do one thing more. I want to read from Exodus chapter 12 now. For the instructions are very specific in Exodus 12, verses 21 and 22. God said, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, a leafy or a feathery bush, dip it into the blood in the basin, the blood of the lamb, and put some of the blood on the top and both side posts of the doorframe. And then he says, no one, but no one shall go out of the door of his house until morning. And so the father goes to the door. Ah, before he seals it, he opens his arms and he was told by God, call all who would come and dwell with them to find salvation from judgment in the house of the Lord. And so that night, Egyptians, as well as Jews who didn't and couldn't afford a lamb, could join together, together in one house. Whoever was, whoever responded, all were called, whoever responded was welcome into God's house of salvation. And then we took a lamb, we took the, the hyssop and the blood of the lamb and applied it, dipping it on the, watch carefully, the top and the two sides of the door. And from that moment on, the door was sealed. No one could go out. No one dared to go out. And no one could come in. And God said when he come upon, came upon the land of Egypt and he saw the blood of the lamb on the houses where we live, he would pass over us so that no judgment, death, or destruction fell upon those who trust in the blood of the lamb. There's the heart of the story. There was the picture of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the back of John the Baptist's mind, when he sees Jesus, he sees the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's why I love this particular festival, why I love to do this. I'm so grateful to be able to share this with you tonight. The two most important elements are yet yet to come. All of this fulfilled a picture of Jesus that was written 750 years before his ministry. The prophet Isaiah wrote, in a passage that I never read before I came to faith in Jesus, because in the synagogue we don't read Isaiah 53. But in Isaiah 53 it says very specifically, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us Shalom, peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has lain upon him the iniquity of us all.
We have a wonderful gospel message. We have an amazing message to share with the world. And out of Passover, we have a chance to, to be inspired and, and regenerated and, and encouraged to go and do this. Tonight, um, I want you to, uh, we'll come back to, to the rest of Passover for a moment. I work with, with a, a ministry that um, started 49, 50 years ago this year. And we can hardly believe what God has done. I have never seen as many Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus as I am right now. And I want to say thank you to this congregation. You've been supporting our work in the former Soviet Union, and particularly through the life of Maxim Amosov. Maxim uh, was supposed to be in the United States to share this, this message uh, around uh, Louisiana this year. But last December, he signed a petition along with 500, roughly 500 other Jew, uh, 500 other leaders, particularly Christian leaders, in Moscow. And as soon as he penned his name on that list, he was placed on a no-fly list and has not been able to, to come out. I'd ask you to pray for Maxime. He asked me to give his greetings to all of you tonight. He is, he's encouraged. He's incredibly encouraged. For years, we have watched the most fruitful ministry in, in our work anywhere in the world has been in among the Russian and Ukrainian-speaking Jewish communities. Our staff up in Belarus were told that they were, they were in jeopardy of being conscripted into the Belarusian army to then serve under the Russian army to go into Ukraine. And our staff in Belarus, along with many other Belarusians, have said, we're not going to be conscripted. We'll go to jail before we would go and fight against our brothers and sisters down in Ukraine. So I ask your prayers for, for all of them, for our, um, our brothers and sisters who are working still in uh, Odessa and in Kiev. They're there. They're doing ministry. They're seeing Jewish and Gentile people coming to faith in Jesus during just the worst possible time in, in, uh, in this season. And we ask your, your prayers for them. I want to show you one other thing, and that's uh, um, our celebration for this 50th year. Our ministry is, is marshalling our efforts between April and July for an all-out evangelism campaign globally, reaching out to 22 different um, audiences. And if we can, just show you the, a little two-minute video about what we're doing. I want to ask your prayers to join us after you see this. Jews for Jesus started as a slogan but by 1973, it had officially become a thriving evangelistic ministry. Jewish people with a passion to share the good news that our Messiah has come. Over the last 50 years, Jews for Jesus has proclaimed the gospel in some of the biggest Jewish communities around the world, from South Africa to Budapest, from New York to Jerusalem. We stand as living proof that it is possible to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And by God's grace, tens of thousands of Jewish people across the globe have now met their Messiah too. In the Hebrew scriptures, God instructed the people of Israel to declare every 50th year as a Jubilee, an appointed time for liberty to be proclaimed, debts forgiven, property returned, and slaves set free. That's why this year, during May, June, and July, Jews for Jesus will be sharing the message of liberty and Messiah 
to 20 different Jewish communities all at the same time. This will be the most comprehensive global outreach we've ever conducted, with hundreds of missionaries and volunteers sharing the good news across the world, and we can't do it without you. Most Jewish people still have never heard the message that Jesus is their Messiah, the very one who came to set the captives free to fulfill the true meaning of Jubilee. Will you join with us to declare liberty to those in bondage, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted? Together, we can reach the Jewish people with the good news of the year of Jubilee. If you'd like to follow along with us and hear what God is doing, there's a, a coupon on the end of this that you can tear off and leave with me tonight, um, and we'll make sure that you're, you're in the news about what's happening uh, with those 20 audiences uh, around the world. It's a, um, it's a time we've really put energy into, and we'd love to have your prayers standing alongside of us. Uh, that QR code will also be on the, the connect table out back. That'll give you a chance to sign up and get to hear what's happening among us. I hope you'll pray for us. I hope you'll pray with us. I don't make um, prophetic utterances about what's happening with the Jewish community. All I can tell you is this is a tough age. I've, many of us are saying we haven't seen anything like the days that we're living in. But at the same time, I've never seen as as much of an openness among Jewish people, and the numbers are increasing rapidly. I mentioned uh, to some uh, Pastor Brandon this, this evening. We used to have our large our flagship office used to be in New York City. We had about twelve or fifteen missionaries there. The next largest was in Los Angeles, where I work now. With there are more than half a million Jews in the the broader area. In twenty uh, twenty. 2001, I filed papers with the government of Israel to register Jews for Jesus as a nonprofit mission agency to make the Messiahship of Jesus known from the Old and the New Testament, and it was accepted. We now have our largest branch in the world located in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, 50 Israelis. They're all citizens. If Israel closes down all mission work in Israel, nothing changes for us. Every one of those people um, serve uh, in the military. They, they go to schools in Israel. Uh, they marry and settle, and, and now they're coming to, to work with us. And it's just an incredible, incredible picture. All of that in just barely 20 years. So I ask your prayers for what's happening. Again, I can't predict what that means. All I can tell you is we live in exciting and very remarkable days. Now tonight, we're going we're gonna to share from the Lord's table. What I want to do now is take us back into Passover and pick the narration up at what happens as Jewish people celebrate this, but I want us to have an opportunity to celebrate our redemption from the Egypt of sin. On the night that, that he was betrayed, Jesus came to the Passover table, and he did something that we do immediately after supper. There is, uh, in modern times, we have a a place, an empty place for the prophet Elijah with the hope that Elijah will come on this night and herald the arrival of Messiah. Every year, we send the youngest child to the door to see if Elijah's there. But you and I know that Elijah 
in the spirit and power of Elijah came John the Baptist, and he heralded the arrival of Messiah Jesus. We know that that Jesus is coming again. But until then, he asked us to do something very simple. The same kind of thing that God, Yahweh, the Father, asked us to do, the Jewish people, in remembering our redemption from Egypt. He asks you and me, as his followers, to remember our redemption from the Egypt of sin. We're going to take these elements, but I want to stop for a moment. And just, it might be that you're here tonight. You've come as a, a guest. You've come maybe not as a fully committed Christian understanding what this is all about. The only requirement for coming to the Lord's table is that you come with faith. And the faith is very simple. It starts with an acknowledgement. God, I'm broken. I can't be what I want to be. I can't do it because of my iniquity and my brokenness. You know what? As I was calling out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I pleaded that he might show up in my life. And when he, in the course of that, he brought me to a point where I was literally standing in the middle of a baseball field calling out to heaven. And I said to God, okay, I'm broken, but what did you ever do to fix me? And that's when he introduced himself to me in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. If you're here tonight and you're willing to say, God, I know I'm broken. I can't fix what's wrong with me. But I know that in Christ, in Jesus, the Messiah, I have your forgiveness. You'll be his. That's what he asks you to do. I want to take a moment and offer a, a prayer that you can pray with me. If that's you tonight, would you join me? If your desire is to just simply come to Jesus and let him know that you want to be his, would you pray these words with me? Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm broken. I don't have the answers to my iniquity and my sin. But I now understand that you took my burden on yourself in Jesus. Thank you for dying for me in my place on the cross. Come and live in me tonight. Make me your person. Now and forevermore. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's go to his table. Immediately after supper, the children run around the house looking for that piece of matzah. Remember the one? Wrapped in linen, buried, broken. We withdraw that bread. I don't know if they had an afikomen in the days of Jesus. But I do know, as the scripture said, immediately after supper, he took bread. He gave thanks. Join me in this thanksgiving. We say in English, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brought forth bread from the earth.
Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, HaMotze Lechem Min HaAretz. Amen. Jesus took bread and he broke pieces the size of an olive. He distributed them to all the people at the table. Jewish people did this for years. My grandfather did this. My father did this. But neither of them ever understood what Jesus said for us. But we read in Luke 22, verse 19. He took some bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the night of remembrance of our redemption from slavery in Egypt, Jesus spoke through that moment and said, The bread of affliction which your forefathers ate, this is the body, my body given for you in a matter of hours. Now do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave your body for us at the cross of Calvary. Thank you this week we can remember what you've done, the enormity of what you accomplished as the seed of the woman to accomplish redemption and give us new life. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. The very next thing that happens at Passover is we raise the third cup of the night. That cup, as you remember, comes immediately after supper. Did you realize that Luke was signaling what cup it was? When he says in verse 20, In the same way after the supper, he, Jesus, took the cup. And then he said to the disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant is something I never knew about growing up. We don't read it in the synagogue. It wasn't until after I came to know Jesus, when I wondered where the phrase new covenant came from, that somebody pointed me to the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote 700 years before Jesus, that God would renew the covenant promises of Abraham, his eternal covenant, and he would open it up to all the nations. This was the blessing that he had promised to all the nations. It was fulfilled in the blood of the Messiah given for you, given for me, and the promise that he would forgive our sins, he would come and dwell within us by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he would give us a brand new life. And so we raise this cup tonight and we give thanks to God for the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, who has brought us out of the Egypt of sin unto eternal life. Let us drink. The last cup of the night is a fitting praise. The cup of praises in which we say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever and ever and ever until he comes again or takes us to him.
Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this night for your, your grace, your blessing, and the promise that you have redeemed us unto new life by the blood and the body given for us. Thank you for our Passover lamb. Thank you for bringing us out of the Egypt of sin unto new life. Thank you for redeeming us. Lord, we can trust you. And we do trust you this night. In the power and the grace and the love of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.